0: And answers. There are two revolutions that change the course of modern history, the American Revolution and the French Revolution. One was a moral revolution that led to freedom while the other was built of humanist ideas of enlightenment and has led to tyranny and bondage. The revolution we are witnessing in the USA resembles that of the French Revolution and has precarious implications for the welfare of our nation. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, Dr. Oz Guinness, will begin a three-part message and discuss the two revolutions and the current state of the United States. Now with part one is our
1: host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, the United States, we seem to be a nation divided, facing challenges from ideologies that could lead us down a destructive path. And we seem to be standing at a pivotal time in the history of our nation. Will America meet the challenges well and survive? Or will this be the end of America and Western civilization? What will it take to make America great again? With us today is scholar Dr. Oz Guinness. Dr. Guinness is the author and editor of more than 30 outstanding books. I think you should try and read as many as you can. They include some classics like The Dust of Death, The Call, Carpe Diem, and The Last Call for Liberty. He is a frequent speaker, prominent social critic. He has addressed audiences worldwide from the British House of Commons to the United States Congress to the St. Petersburg Parliament. He's a senior fellow at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics and was the founder of the Trinity Forum. Oz has spoken at many of the world's major universities and spoken widely to political and business conferences and leaders all across the world. He's spoken with many world leaders. I personally consider him one of the premier Christian statesmen of our time. So Dr. Guinness, welcome to Evidence and Answers once again.
2: Well, thank you, Pat. That's far too generous, but very kind of you and a privilege to be back.
1: Yes, we're talking about your latest book here. just came out in May, The Magna Carta of Humanity. Outstanding book. I recommend everyone to read this one and to give it not only to your pastor, but your legislature and send one to your congressmen and uh, their workers as well. Well, I remember... You know, Oz, when you came here to Hawaii to speak at our conference, you stated that this is the crunch generation, that we stand at a pivotal time in Western history. You stated how we answer the challenges we are facing will determine if Western civilization survives or comes to an end. So explain your statement there and why we are at such a pivotal moment, you feel, in Western history.
2: Well, this book is really about America, not the West at large, but you can see, and there's a general agreement, that after 500 years of Western dominance and really Western ideas for the modern world have now taken over most of the world, but the West geopolitically is very clearly in decline. Now, the irony is that it is Western ideas that are opposing us in other parts of the world, including China, you either look at China as a form of communism, which of course is Western, or many of their ideas come from people like Karl Schmidt, the German writer between the war, who's behind a lot of fascism and so on. the idea of a corporate state, so the West is in decline, of course, the saddest thing of all is that the deepest roots of the West are Christian. We owe a lot to the Greeks, something to the Romans, but mainly to the scriptures and to the gospel, and yet the West. In European form is the first part of the world to be Christianized as they say and also to be de-christianized but not from a foreign invader it's not that Islam has conquered the West or anything like that it's from insiders and ideas that have actually come from the West themselves
1: yes now what then is your assessment of the state of America you know some say it is divided like the 60s, and eventually we'll get through it. Others say we're at an impasse here, at a critical moment in the history of our nation. So what is your overall assessment of the state of the United States?
2: Well, start with the division. Everyone agrees with that. Here in Washington, it's called the Great Polarization. But the question is what's caused it? Some say it's the social media. Some blame the former president. Some say it's the coastals, California and New York, over against the heartlanders in the Midwest and the South. Some say, and there's some truth behind all of these things, that it's the nationalists and populists over against the globalists, like George Soros and so on. But I'm arguing in this book that there's something deeper even than that. The deepest division are between ideas that come from the American Revolution, 1776, which was largely biblical through the impact of the Reformation. And on the other hand, ideas that come from the French Revolution, 1789, and ideas that have flown down ever ever since then. So that's what the book's about, the huge difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution. People don't realize that, you know, notions like postmodernism, which you tackle Pat, and the sexual revolution and tribal politics and identity politics and things like the cancel culture and critical race theory. All these ideas come from the heirs of the French Revolution and have nothing to do with the American Revolution. So it's a very decisive shift. And if the radical left ideas win, that's the end of the American experiment as we know it. That's how I understand the division.
1: Yes. You know, in your book you state that there are two modern revolutions that changed modern history, the American Revolution and the French Revolution. And you state there that what's happening now, as you just stated, seems to be looking more like the French Revolution. Tell us a little bit more about the differences between the two and the outcomes of both. Well, put it this
2: way. When people think of the French Revolution, they think of ideas like revolutionary socialism or, in one word, communism, and that's not what we're facing, although those ideas have truly shaped the world, and you can see them, for example, in China. But we're talking about not classical Marxism, but what's called cultural Marxism or neo-Marxism or sometimes Western Marxism, or even user-friendly Marxism. But these ideas are different, and they came from an Italian Marxist called Antonio Gramsci, who sat in jail under Mussolini in the 1920s. And he tried to figure out, and he wrote thousands of pages of what are called prison notebooks, he tried to figure out why Marx was wrong. There wasn't a revolution, and there wouldn't be one as Marx predicted, and he shifted the discussion from economics, notions like an industrial strike and the proletariat and things like that, to cultural tensions and the notion of gatekeepers. He introduced the term hegemony, or in other words, who has dominance in a society. Now, his ideas were picked up by the Frankfurt School over the next 40 years, but in the 60s, the key member was Herbert Marcuse at the University of San Diego. And he was considered the godfather of the new left. And it was he, at the end of the 60s, who called for a long march through the institutions. In other words, the radicals wouldn't win in the streets. Although in 68, my first visit to this country, a hundred American cities were ablaze, far worse than 2020 martin luther king killed bobby kennedy assassinated and yet the radicals realized they wouldn't win in the streets and you know the story well pat they had to win the colleges and universities the press and the media and what they called the culture industry hollywood entertainment win those the cultural gatekeepers and then you could sweep around and win the whole culture and of course we're now 50 years later and you can see that they have done it. And everything from Occupy Wall Street to Antifa to Black Lives Matter to cancel culture, the speech codes and all that sort of stuff. It comes from the Long March and it's the product of cultural Marxism. And it's absolutely deadly to American freedom and also to faith.
1: Yes, he talked about how the British and the American Revolution ended in freedom You talk about how the French Revolution led to some other revolutions, what we saw in China and Russia and some other countries, and they ended up in oppression. The two had two different outcomes. Explain that for us Mm -hmm. a little bit.
2: Well, you can see the differences very clearly in the reign of terror that took place in France, but I think it's worth answering the other half of your earlier question. What are the differences between the revolutions? You know, one key one, an obvious one, is their different sources. One comes from the Bible, and through the Reformation, the rediscovery of the book of Exodus, the Great Liberation, and the book of Deuteronomy. And the other evolution comes from the French Enlightenment, Diderot, Voltaire, Rousseau, and so on. But there's another key distinction. They're different views of humanity. So the Christian revolution, the Jewish and Christian revolution from the Bible, is highly realistic. Why? Humans abuse freedom and abuse power. And that's why you have in the Bible the separation of powers, monarchy, the priesthood, and the prophets. And we, of course, have the separation of powers. And that comes directly through John Witherspoon, the Scottish theologian, president of Princeton, and his young disciple and student, James Madison. Whereas the French Revolution was utopian. You'd think of Rousseau, you know, man is born free and everywhere is in chains. So remove a chain or two, sexual or political or whatever, and we'll all be happy, free, and fulfilled. What absolute nonsense. And you can see how utopianism, say in China, has created the worst evils in history with maybe 75 million Chinese killed by his uh, fellow Chinese killed by Mao and so on. So there are fundamental differences. You go across the board. The big difference this current year, Patish again you know well, is justice. And you can see since the killing of George Floyd, the enormous difference between how the radical left addresses injustice and how the gospel and the scriptures as a whole address injustice.
1: Yes, it seems that there has been a redefining of these terms. You state in your book, freedom, social justice. Those terms seem to be redefined in terms of cultural Marxism. How have some of those key terms, justice, freedom, liberty, equality, how has those words been redefined?
2: Well, if you think the deepest, and okay, I don't need this calls to Newcastle to sell you this, but maybe some of your audience need to think about it. The ultimate root of relativism is not philosophical and it's not cultural, it's sin. And at its heart, sin is the insistence on the right to the claim to myself and therefore to my viewpoint on things. And so you can see sin introduces a relativism into everything. So we need to always ask, who says so and why? So you take the notion of revolution. For the English and the American revolutions, there was a biblical route even to revolution. You know the idea that God creates order, sin creates disorder, so God works into a disordered world, restoring it, and he's turning it upside down in order to turn it the right way up. So you have, for instance, Acts 17, the agitators say about Paul, These men who turned the world upside down have come here. Now, the Jews, of course, blame the Christians. Uh, Tacitus, the Roman historian, blamed the Jews. And so it goes. You've got to say, who says so? And what do they really mean? So there's a biblical view of revolution. Now, the same is true. Uh, Let's take justice, because that's the current one. We all, almost all, thank God, agree there is injustice. Too much. The differences come in how you address it. Now, of course, for the radical left, the cultural Marxist, God is dead. But worse than that, or flowing out of that, not worse, truth is dead. So all you have is power. So as you know, they analyze discourse, speech. How do people speak about things? Well, you look for the majority, the minority, the oppressor, the victim. And when you found a victim, maybe racial or sexual or in terms of body weights or whatever it is, then you weaponize the victim and then put highlight on a group and use that to try and subvert the status quo. But here's the problem. Without any standard of justice and without any truth, it is only a power struggle which ends in one outcome, what the Romans called the peace of despotism. In other words, you have a power that can put down All other powers, unrivaled, and that isn't justice or freedom or peace, it's despotism. Whereas you know well, the biblical, you call for repent, you address truth to power and call for repentance, confession, forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration. Now those are all single words I've used, but unpack each of those and you see they're profoundly linked to freedom and they remedy wrongs and restore injustice. And the way of the gospel and the way of the radical left a night and day difference. And yet far too many Christians today, including some pastors, have drunk the Kool-Aid, not realizing they're echoing Black Lives Matter, rather than the Hebrew prophets.
1: Yes, if truth and the moral law is not anchored in God, then it's almost impossible to have a absolute universal moral law that all men appeal to. So if we reject God and the universal moral law of God then the moral law and truth are created by man and basically then who determines truth? Who determines right and wrong? I end up saying well it comes down to a might makes right kind of ethical system and you end up in a kind of tribal warfare with what we're seeing now. Whoever can gain the power is gonna determine the rules. Is that what you're seeing now? Is that what you're talking oh, about? Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. But you know, historians look at injustice in history and they say, why weren't there greater voices raised against it? And the simple fact is that humans are impressed by power and especially the spectacle of power, take a pharaoh or a Caesar or an emperor, or whatever. But thank God that one of the probably the first great voices against the abuse of power and injustice were the prophets. Amos, Hosea, Micah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you name them. And of course, our Lord predicted in Isaiah 61, then he announces Isaiah 61 and says, today in your hearing, the scripture has been fulfilled. And so Christians should be on the side of freedom, liberation, and tackling the abuses of power and injustice, because that's our heritage, and we have a real grounds for doing so.
1: Yes, when we look at the American Revolution, we look at the Civil War, we look at the Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, they were appealing to the Bible and the principles from the Bible. And then when it came to the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement, they were appealing to not only to the Bible but also to the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. But when we look at what we're seeing now in something like Black Lives Matter, I don't see any appeal to God's Word or Declaration of Independence. I see these movements as something different here. and That's what I think makes it insidious and dangerous. Uh, Would you agree with that?
2: Oh, totally. That's what I'm saying. The two revolutions are entirely different. Now, those of us who are Christians, we know, say, you think of Paul's letter to the Galatians, the early Christians in Galatia. He says, who's bewitched you? You came to faith by one gospel, gospel of grace, and now you're following another gospel. Who's bewitched you? And what I'm saying in this book, in in effect, to Americans, who has bewitched you? The American Revolution is entirely different from the French Revolution." And yet, you switch from one to the other, and a great deal of it without noticing it. And that's absolutely deadly. In other words, the Long March has succeeded. Or put it another way, the first two revolutions, the English, 1642, and the American, 1776, look different because the English failed. It's now called the Lost Cause, and the Americans succeeded. But in fact, they're both similar Through the Reformation they came out of the Old Testament. So the notion of covenant in the Exodus at Mount Sinai became the notion of constitution. And you can see, for example, the early church. Go back to when the early church became the official religion of the empire. It was 380 under the Emperor Theodosius. The church made a terrible mistake. It copied Roman structures. And Roman structures were hierarchical. You had the Caesar and the consuls and the senators and so on. And the church then had the pope and the cardinals and the bishops and so on. And it was a Catholic layman who made the famous remark that all power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely because hierarchies based on power will always become corrupt. Think of the Inquisition. Think of the terrible notion Error has no rights. So the Reformation said that wasn't biblical. And not so much Luther, but Calvin and Zwingli and Bullinger and John Knox in Scotland and Oliver Cromwell in England, they went back to Exodus. Oliver Cromwell said the Exodus was the precedent he was trying to follow. And of course, that notion of covenant is the Mayflower Compact. And behind the famous speech by Winthrop on the Arbella. And so covenant became constitution, we the people, and so on. So we've got to explore the roots of these things, not just because it's, quote, biblical and we're Christian, but because it's the greatest maximization of freedom the world's ever seen. And the alternatives are disastrous.
1: Yes, explain that for us. Uh, You state that powerfully in your book. You state that we have to rediscover the principles of the Exodus Revolution that is laid the foundation for the American Revolution. That actually, so our revolution was a moral revolution based on the principles of Exodus, in which you state is mm-hmm. you know, the greatest display of reestablishing justice and freedom for a nation. Yeah, expound on that uh, some more for us.
2: Well, I've mentioned covenant. You can come back to that because that's the key one. But let me pick up one that's really relevant both to the church and to America today, which is the notion of transmission, handing it on. You know, as the rabbis point out, what did Moses talk about the the night of the Passover? 430 years of slavery. They're going free. He doesn't mention freedom. They're going to the land promised to Abraham, the promised land of milk and honey, Does he mention it? No. Three times he talks about children. In other words, the story we tell to our children is the key to one, identity, who we are, and two, continuity, making sure it goes from one generation to the next. And that's critical for both faith and freedom. So you look at America today. Take freedom. Civic education in the public schools was thrown out at the end of the 1960s, and then came Howard Zinn, and more recently, the 1619 Project. In other words, what's taught in many public schools is literally suicidal for the American Republic. You cannot continue America with that rotten, toxic stuff. Or take the church you know, the old word. I don't use it myself much, except speaking like this. The old word was catechism. In other words, you teach children, or you teach new converts what it is we believe, and it's handed on. But Generation Z has an abysmal view of both faith and freedom. And I don't blame Generation Z for a minute. They just haven't had it handed on well. And the transmission has broken down, Both in terms of faith and in terms of freedom and it's quite simply disastrous
1: yeah explain to us why does generation z have that abysmal view of faith and freedom and of american history
2: well you just take one simple example the two main instruments of transmission that was where you handed on families and schools i mentioned schools take the family Families used to have authority, but now fathers, part of the patriarchal system, and parents are sidelined at the age, say, of three and four in schools when children are taught sex education and all sorts of stuff that comes from sexual revolution.
0: We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence & Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even hold a conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence & Answers website, that's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, once again, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church,